296. So then, the divine providence with evil people may be clearly perceived, and thus comprehended, the headings listed above must be explained in the order in which we have presented them. First, that every evil contains countless constituents. Every evil appears to a person's sight as a simple entity. That is how hatred and vengeance appear, theft and fraud, adultery and licentiousness, arrogance and haughtiness, and so on. But people do not know that every evil contains countless constituents, more than the number of fibers and vessels in a person's body. For an evil person is a hell in miniature form, and hell consists of millions and millions of spirits, each one there having a seemingly human form, even though a monstrous one, with all the fibers and all the vessels in him inverted. Every spirit is himself an evil, appearing to himself as a single entity, but having in him countless constituents, as many as the lusts of that evil. For every person is his own evil or his own good, from his head to the sole of his foot. Since that is the case with an evil person, it is apparent, therefore, that he is a single evil composed of various countless constituents, which are evils individually, and are called lusts for evil. It follows from this that all of these constituents, in the order in which they exist, must be repaired and transformed by the Lord for a person to be reformed, and that this can be accomplished by the Lord's divine providence only gradually, from a person's first age even until his last. When it is represented in hell, every lust for evil appears as some harmful animal, such as a dragon, a basilisk, a viper, an eagle owl, a screech owl, and so on. The lusts for evil in an evil person appear likewise when he is viewed by angels. All of these forms of lusts must be transformed one by one. The person himself, who in respect to his spirit appears as a monstrous person or devil, must be transformed in order to be seen as a beautiful angel. And each lust for evil must be transformed so as to appear as a lamb, a sheep, a pigeon or dove, as angels' affections for good appear in heaven when they are represented. Turning a dragon into a lamb, a basilisk into a sheep, or an owl into a dove can be accomplished only gradually, by eradicating evil from its seed on and planting a good seed in its place. This, however, can be done only as is comparatively the case in the grafting of trees, in which the roots remain with some portion of the trunk, but the engrafted branch nevertheless turns the sap drawn up through the old root into sap producing good fruit. The branch to be engrafted can be obtained only from the Lord, who is the tree of life. This too accords with the Lord's words in John 15, verse 1 to 7. Second, that an evil person of himself steers himself ever more deeply into his evils. We say he does it of himself because every evil originates from the person for he turns the good coming from the Lord into evil, as we said above. As for the statement that an evil person steers himself more and more deeply into evil, the fundamental reason is that as he wills and does evil, he introduces himself more and more interiorly, and also more and more deeply, into societies in hell. As a consequence, his delight in evil also grows, and this so occupies his thoughts that at last he feels nothing to be sweeter, Moreover, 
someone who introduces himself more interiorly and deeply into societies in hell, becomes like one bound in chains. But as long as he lives in the world, he does not feel the chains. They are as though made of soft wool or of delicate silk threads, which he loves because they titillate him. But after death, those chains, from being soft, become hard, and from being titillating, become biting. That the delight of evil grows by increments is something people know from experience with thefts, robberies, lootings, retaliation and revenge, exercises of tyranny, the pursuit of material gains, and other evils. Who does not feel the heightenings of delight in these, in the measure of his successes in them, and unrestrained practices of them? People know that a thief feels such delight in his thefts that he cannot desist, and surprisingly, that he prizes one stolen coin more than ten coins received as a gift. The same would be the case with adulterous affairs, if it had not been provided that that evil decrease in potency in the measure of the abuse. But still there remains with many the delight of thinking and talking about such affairs, and if nothing more, still the lust to touch. People do not know, however, that the reason for this is the fact that the person introduces himself more and more interiorly and more and more deeply into societies in hell as he commits evils willingly and at the same time by design. If he commits them only in thought and not in the will, he is not yet with his evil in a society of hell, but enters it only when the evils are also in his will. If in that event he thinks as well that this or that evil is contrary to the commandments of the Decalogue, and regards those commandments as divine, he then commits the evil on purpose, and so lowers himself to a depth from which he cannot be withdrawn, except by actual repentance. It should be known that in respect to his spirit, every person is in the spiritual world, and in some society there, an evil person in a society of hell, and a good person in a society of heaven. The person also sometimes appears there when he is engaged in deep meditation. It should be known, too, that as the sound accompanying speech spreads round about in the air in the natural world, so the affection accompanying thought spreads round about into societies in the spiritual world. The two also correspond, for affection corresponds to sound, and thought to speech. Third, the divine providence with evil people is a continual permitting of evil, in order to effect a continual turning away from it. We say that divine providence in the case of evil people is a continual permitting because from their life can flow nothing but evil, for a person is either in a state of good or in a state of evil. He cannot be in both at the same time, nor in the two alternately, unless he is lukewarm. Moreover, the Lord does not introduce evil of life into the will and through that into the thought, but it is introduced by the person, and this is called permission. Now, because everything that an evil person wills and thinks is by permission, the question then is what divine providence does in that case, which is said to operate in the least particulars in every person, in an evil person as well as in a good one. It consists, however, in its continually permitting for the sake of its goal, and permitting only such things as are conducive to the goal, and in its continually examining, winnowing, and purging the evils which by permission ensue, and banishing, and in imperceptible ways expelling those that are incongruous. 
These processes take place principally in a person's interior will, and from this in his interior thought. Divine providence operates continually also in this respect, that it provides against banishable and expellable evils being given admission again by the will. Since everything given admission by the will is incorporated into the person, on the other hand, evils that are admitted by the thought and not the will are kept separate and dismissed. This is the continual operation of the Lord's providence in the case of evil people, which, as we said, is a continual permitting in order to effect a continual turning away. A person knows scarcely anything of these processes because he has no perception of them. The principal reason he does not perceive them is that the evils are those of the lusts belonging to his life's love. And those evils are not felt as evils, but as delights, to which no one pays any attention. Who pays attention to the delights of his love? His thought swims in them, like a boat that is carried along in the current of a river. And he perceives a kind of sweet-smelling atmosphere, which he inhales with a deep breath. A person is able to sense something of these evils in his outer thought only, but still he does not pay attention to them there, unless he knows well that they are evils. But more on this subject in the discussion following next. Fourth, that the turning away from evil is accomplished in a thousand ways by the Lord, even in very secret ways. Of these ways, only some have been disclosed to me, but no more than the most general, namely, that the delights of lusts, of which a person knows nothing, are emitted in groups and clusters into the interior thoughts belonging to a person's spirit, and from there into his outer thoughts, where they appear in the form of some sensation of pleasure, gratification, or longing, and are commingled there with his natural and sensory delights. The means of winnowing and purging are located there, as well as the ways of turning and expulsion. The means are especially the delights of meditation, thought, and reflection for the sake of particular ends that are useful, and ends that are useful are as many as the particular and individual objectives of any business or occupation. They are also as many as the delights of reflection in order that the person may appear as a civic and moral one, and also as a spiritual one, despite the undelightful obstacles that stand in the way. Because those delights are delights of his love in his outer self, they are means of winnowing, purging, expelling, and turning away the delights of the lusts for evil in his internal self. Take, for example, an unjust judge, who regards material gain as his end, or partiality as the purpose of his office. Inwardly, he is continually intent on these, but outwardly means to behave as one learned in the law and just. Such a judge continually takes delight in meditating, thinking, reflecting, and planning, in order to twist, turn, adjust, and conform an adjudication so that it appears consonant with the laws and a semblance of justice. Nor does he know that his inner delight consists in cunning and guile, deception and pretense, trickery and craft, clandestine thefts, and many other evils, and that this delight, composed as it is of so many delights of lusts for evil, governs in each and every consideration of his outer thought, where his delights are those of appearing to be just and honest. His inner delights descend into these outer delights, and they are mixed together like foodstuffs in the stomach, 
and there they are winnowed, purged, and turned aside. But this is the case only with the delights of lusts for evil that are more serious. In the case of an evil person, indeed, only a winnowing, purging, and turning away of his more serious evils from the less serious is possible. Possible in the case of a good person, however, is a winnowing, purging, and turning away not only of his more serious evils, but also of his less serious ones. And this is accomplished through the delights of his affections for goodness and truth, and for justice and honesty, into which he comes to the extent that he regards evils as sins, and therefore refrains from and is averse to them, and still more if he fights against them. These are the means by which the Lord purges all those people who are saved. He purges them also by external means, which have to do with his reputation and honor, and sometimes with material gain. But still, the Lord implants in them the delights of affections for goodness and truth, by which they are directed and adjusted so as to become the delights of a love for the neighbor. If someone were to see the delights of lusts for evil altogether in some form, or clearly perceive them with some sense, he would see and perceive them to be so numerous as to be beyond counting. For the whole of hell is nothing but the embodiment of all lusts for evil, and no lust for evil there is entirely like or the same as another, nor can one be entirely like or the same as another to eternity. Moreover, of these countless lusts, a person knows almost nothing, still less how they are connected. And yet the Lord, through His divine providence, continually allows them to manifest themselves, in order that they may be turned away, which is the case in their every succession and series. An evil person is, in miniature form, a hell, as a good person is, in miniature form, a heaven. The fact that the turning away from evil is accomplished in a thousand ways by the Lord, even in very secret ways, can be no better seen and thus concluded than from the secret operations of the soul in the body. Those that a person knows about are as follows. That he inspects the food he is about to eat, discerns it by its smell, hungers for it, tastes it, chews it with his teeth, and swallows it with his tongue down his throat, and so into his stomach. In contrast, however, are the operations of the soul of which a person knows nothing, because he has no sensation of them, which are as follows, that the stomach churns the food received, with solvents opens and breaks them up or digests them, and submits suitable elements to little orifices opening there, and veins which absorb them, that it sends off some of the nutriments into the blood, some into lymphatic vessels, some into the lacteal vessels of the mesentery, and some down into the intestine, that after being drawn up from its cisterna in the mesentery through the thoracic duct, the chyle is then discharged into the vena cava, and so into the heart, and from the heart into the lungs, and from there through the left ventricle of the heart into the aorta, and from the aorta through its branches into the organs of the entire body, and also into the kidneys, in each of which is effected a separation, purging, and removal of heterogeneous elements from the blood. We pass by without mention how the heart sends its blood, purified in the lungs, up into the brain, which it does through arteries called carotids, and how the brain returns the blood, vivified, into the vena cava, just above the place where the thoracic duct discharges the chyle, and so once again into the heart. These, in addition to countless others, are secret operations of the soul in the body, 
a person has no sensation of them, and anyone not versed in the science of anatomy has no knowledge of them. And yet similar processes take place in the interior components of a person's mind, as nothing can occur in the body without being impelled by the mind. For a person's mind is his spirit, and his spirit is equally human, the only difference being that the activities occurring in the body take place naturally, while those occurring in the mind take place spiritually. There is a complete similarity. It is apparent from this that in every person, divine providence operates in a thousand ways, even in very secret ways, that it continually has as its end to purge him, because it has as an end to save him, and that nothing more is incumbent on the person than to put away evils in his external self. The Lord provides the rest, if entreated to.